This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. We are on our fifth week of identity, and so if you need a Bible, raise your hand up real high. I highly advise it today, just so you can see the Word of God. We're going to look at a number of Scripture. Once you've got your Bible, go with me to the book of John, chapter 5. We'll go to John 5 and then John chapter 8, and then you're going to have to stay with me to see where else we're going. I'm glad you're here, though. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving. This is a good time of year, right from Thanksgiving all the way through Christmas, so we're going to believe God that it's going to be a good season in your life. You know, when we talk about identity, it's very easy as human beings that we struggle in a couple areas. One's with performance. And my performance is, I, I, I try to do what's right to gain God's approval. And the other, oftentimes people struggle with perfection. And if everything in my life isn't perfect, it wrecks me. But both of those are, are describing me. And in Acts seventeen twenty eight, it says, In Him, in the Lord Jesus, we live and move and breathe and have our being. So the goal is to begin to do life through Christ Jesus. That he wants to help every one of us. So we begin in John 5, verse 38. Now these are some interesting verses that Jesus himself said. Begin in verse 38. But you do not have his word abiding or living in you. And when he was talking about you don't have the word, he's saying you don't have the word in your heart. Now you'll hear several times that word abide this morning. He says, because whom he sent... Him you do not believe. Talking about Jesus. You don't believe in the Lord Jesus. Verse 39, you search the scriptures. The scriptures have been referenced as the the living voice of God. And you search the scriptures, for in these you think you have eternal life. That's interesting that he would say that there. That you, you search the scriptures and you think you have eternal life. Look what he ends in saying in verse 39. And these are they which testify of me. One translation says, if you think knowing the Bible is the same as knowing me, Jesus, you're only fooled. The message says these scriptures are all about me. The Amplified says they testify of me. So everything with the scriptures, they all point to Jesus. And this is what he's trying to tell every one of us. That he was the answer. Now, he's not downplaying the scriptures, but all the scriptures do point to Jesus. Verse 40. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. So that you may have life. Now, John 10.10, it says the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I came to give you life and that more abundantly. So when we read these right here, the only way we truly live life is through Jesus. Now, turn just a couple pages to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, and let's begin in verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him. Now, just, just stop right there with that first statement that he makes. The Jews who believed in him. You know what that tells me? Those Jews are the ones who gave their heart to Jesus. They're born again. Now, I said this last week, and this isn't to downplay salvation of all, but salvation, again, is the, it's the beginning point. So he said, these Jews who believed in me, now look what he said, if you abide 
If you hold fast, if you live in accordance in my word, you are my disciples indeed. So Jesus didn't just say, once you get born again, that's it. You've hit the grand slam in life. No, he said, you get born again. And then the key is, I must abide in the word. When he talks about abiding in the word, it's not about a certain type of doctrine. It's not about mentally agreeing with something. It's literally talking about getting the word of God in your heart and embrace it and say, I'm going to live by the word of God. That's how I'm going to do my whole life. Chapter 32 or verse 32. And you shall know. Now the word know there means to perceive. It means to understand. It means to recognize. But it also means to progress. See, God never intended for every one of us to get born again and just to stop right there. God's goal was we get born again and we start living life where we have fruit over and over again. And so he goes on to say, and you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. In John 14, it says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So if that's the case, it could be better said here, you'll know Jesus and Jesus will set you free. Now, in verse 36, that's almost exactly what it says. In John 8, 36, it said, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. And so Jesus still sets people free. The interesting things about verse 32 is a lot of times we as Christians, we've quoted it. You'll say, you know the truth, the truth will set you free. You know the truth, the truth will set you free. Is that true? Well, yes and no. It's true if you obey verse 31. See, verse 32 hinges on verse 31. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you'll ask what you will and shall be done unto you. Then, even in this one, you'll ask and you'll be set free when you abide in the word of God. And so there's a part of this that i got to get over and i got to hang fast on the word of God. i got to get saved and then i got to just let my life be consumed with the word of God. Same chapter, verse 43. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. Now, anytime we as human beings, we get away from listening to the word of God, watch what happens in verse 44. You are of your father, the devil. Wow, what a statement. The New Living says, for you are the children of your father, the devil. Now, keep reading, because he says, and. And the desires of your father you want to do. So you will follow the desires of your father. Your father will either be father God or your father will be the devil. And when the devil's your father, you'll follow or you'll practice his desires. Those aren't good. Keep reading. Because the desires of your father you want to do. He, the devil, was a murderer from the beginning. And the devil does not stand in the truth. You know, the devil doesn't want you standing in the truth either. In the, the, the parable of the sower in Mark 4, verses 15 and 16, it says that when you and me hear the word of God, the devil comes immediately to steal the word. He does not want you knowing the truth about who you are in Christ Jesus. So he'll do everything he can to keep me and you from knowing the truth. And in this right here, he says he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. 
When the devil speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. So when the devil lies, it's consistent with his character and his nature. But the problem with this is he wants to make every one of us right here today his tools to carry out his will on this earth. God's saying, I don't want that for you. God said, I want to breathe on you. Now, to help us with the things of God, we got to get things in order. Turn to the book of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And let's let the word of God speak to us here today because there's some really, really good nuggets in this passage that we need to learn to live our life by. Matthew 6, verse 25. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry. Now, planning for tomorrow is time well spent. Worrying about tomorrow is useless. Because the word worry right here, it suggests a distraction. A a preoccupation with things that have anxiety, have stress, and have pressure related to them. Now, you don't have to raise your hands here. But how many of you are battling worry today? Distractions, anxieties, pressures. See, I believe it's a trick of the enemy, especially this time of the year. Many times with with Christmas, people get so stressed out over the goofiest things. And so right here, the Lord's warning us. He's saying, listen, listen, listen. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. Easier said than done. What you're going to eat, what you will drink, nor about your body... What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Now, the same Greek word for worry that Jesus is talking about is found in the parable of the sower in uh, Matthew 13 and Mark 4. And the admonition that Jesus gives in this, it indicates there are some that hear the word of God, but because of the carries, the worries of life, It chokes out the word. And when the word of God is choked out in your life or my life, it bears no fruit. And so this is the same passage here. Now, Jesus goes on and gives us some great insight. He says in verse 26, Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into the barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Are you of not more value than the sparrows? It was pretty cold out this morning. But on the way to church, I didn't see one sparrow on the, the power lines that was just freaked out because of life. His hair's all ruffled, thinking, what are we going to do? I didn't see one of them. I mean, actually, every sparrow I came across, they all looked the same. But yet he tells me and you, are you not more value than the birds? We are. So he gives us this instruction, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature, one span of his life? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon, all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe ye, O ye of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink or what shall we do? For all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. 
Now here's a great nugget for us to live by. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Now what Father God does right here. He's pledged himself with a covenant faithfulness. And he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his way of doing things, and all these things, clothing, food, shelter, everything you need, he said, will be added unto you. So oftentimes, we as human beings, we filter it this way. We look and we have this thought and we say, you know what? If I just try harder, if I just do better in in life, then I'll earn God's approval. But there's a problem with that when I say, if I try harder, if I try to do better because everything's still focused on me, it needs to be focused on Him. Because when I live out of my abilities, it's going to be resentment and disappointment toward God. But when I get over and say, you know what, Father God? I'm going to seek you first. Now, here's the question this morning. What are you seeking first? With your time and your energy. Just think about that for a second. What's your loyalty to this morning? Is it to fame? Do you do things just to be noticed? To get people's approval? Is it about ambition? Materialistic things? Do you live for money? See, if money is my first choice then my my life will be ordered by money. But if I seek God first, then God will become my order. But too many times, we would rather seek other things first. And so in this passage right here, in, in Matthew 6, 33, I cannot miss this or I cannot overlook this because if I don't seek the kingdom of first and his righteousness, then everything else in my life will not be lived like it's supposed to. But if I get over and I say, okay, Lord, I'm going to seek you first in everything I do. Get ready because God's going to bless you. Now look how this looks. Go with me in the Old Testament to the book of Genesis chapter 12. Above all, my first loyalty. It's got to be God. Now we're going to a passage about a man named Abram. From the time of creation with Adam and Eve until the man named Noah came on the scene was ten generations. From Noah to the flooding of the earth was another ten generations. So with this man named Abram, we're somewhere in 20 generations into mankind. This is five years or, or five generations after the Tower of Babel went down. So God's dealing with this man named Abram. Now we begin in Genesis 12 verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house. Get out of it. So literally right here, God gives Abraham one thing to do. Get out of your family, get out of your country. You know, in every one of our lives, there's one thing that often holds us back from the kingdom of God. It can be family. It can be friends. It can be greed. It it can be addictions. But in this situation, God told Abraham one thing. You got to get out of there. 
And in return, watch what God said he will do. Look at all the eyes. I will take you to a land that I, Father God, will show you. I, Father God, will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So right here the Lord says really in essence this. You're either going to live for God's will. Or you're going to live for your own will. Now in this passage right here. Abraham had to get away from his country. From his people. From his relatives. From his habits, from his routines. He had to get away from his security. He had to get away from his comforts. Everything in his life he had to get away from. Seek first the kingdom of God. Now God didn't say you got to do it. But he said, listen, if you want these things in your life to happen. Then this is what you're going to have to do. And in this situation, literally Abram would have to turn his back on everything he knew. His family, his cousins, his relatives. So there was going to be a time in his life that it was going to be isolation from all the people he knew. Now every one of us in this room, we want to be approved of. We want to be liked. But sometimes when I get over and I live this way, popularity becomes a snare. I begin to do things to get everybody's approval. And when I live that way, I bend to my principles. I lessen my convictions. And so even in this situation, he's having to come to the place where he said, Father God, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to put you first. It's the same for every one of us. Same chapter, verse 4. So Abram departed as the Lord God had spoken to him. Now I want to highlight that right there. He didn't have to obey God. He didn't have to do any of that. But he chose to. And there's times in your life when you choose to serve God wholeheartedly like he did. It won't be easy. But yet something happens when I say, Lord, I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God. So he departs. And Lot, his nephew, went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now remember that age, he's 75. Verse 5. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they'd gather, and the people whom they'd acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the Tirbin, the tree of Moriah, and the Canaanites were there in the land. You know, when you study this in, in Hebrews 11, verses 8 to, th- 8 to 10, It says by faith. By faith. Everything Abraham did was by faith. Romans 1.17 says, The just shall live by faith. He started following God by faith. Verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and he said to him, To your descendants, your seed, your offspring, I will give this land. Now this was an incredible promise from Father God. He said, because you've chosen to serve me, because you've chosen to seek the kingdom of God first, I'm going to give your descendants, your offspring, this land. The long-term effects 
of your choices and your decisions. Now, oftentimes we go through life and we're not the least bit concerned about our choices and our decisions. But when I read this right here and I see the Lord say, what you do on this earth, Abram, is going to affect your children. It's going to affect your grandchildren. All the generations behind you. Now, that changes the playing field immediately with me. And this was one of the things that really, really began to change my life in my own way because I started looking and said, because of my choices, I'm not only going to affect me, but I'm going to affect my offspring. Whether good or bad. And I look and I think, I don't want to do that. I want to be able to send my children and my grandchildren a blessing. But in order to walk in that, i got to seek God first. And you may be here today and you may be highly influenced but because of a bad choice in someone in your bloodline. Don't use that as a crutch. You become a generational history maker. And you say... Just as Joshua did in Joshua 24, 15. As for me and my house, we're going to serve God. As for me and my house, we're going to live for him. So here, the Lord gives him this great promise. Now watch what happens at the end of verse 7. To your descendants, I will give you this land. And there, Abram built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. It's interesting how many times when you read about the Old Testament saints that when stuff began to happen in their life, they would build an altar before God. When Joshua crossed the Jordan River into the Promised Land, one of the first things he did, he built an altar to the Lord. Now, when they built the altar to the Lord, it wasn't a place of just sacrifice. It was a place of surrender. It was a place they brought their praise. They brought their worship to God. It was a place they communicated with God. They fellowshiped with God. Understand this about the altar. It was a place where they had an encounter with God. And I believe it looked like this. That he would get on his knees and he would raise his hands and his eyes to the Lord. And he'd say, I thank you, Father God, that you're the God of promise. You're the God of protection. You're the God who watches over me. And with everything they had... They were very grateful. And so he erects this altar here. Verse 8. And he moved from there to the mountains east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent. And there he built an altar to the Lord. And he called on the name of the Lord. I highlight that in verse 8. Because when he called on the name of the Lord... The Lord became Abram's identity. It was no longer about his past, his father, the country he came from. It was all about Father God. And it said here, he called on the thing of the Lord. And so right here between Bethel and Ai, he erects this altar. And everything he is, he says, Father God, I'm I'm yours. Understand this, when Abraham left Haran... He didn't have a map to where he was going. He couldn't call AAA. There was no Motel 6. There wasn't even a Motel 2.5. There was nothing. And so if someone would have asked Abram where you're going, you know what he said? 
I don't know. How will you know when you get there? I don't know. What are you going to eat? I don't know. Where are you going to get your water? I don't know. But God does. But God does. And so when this setting here, the reason he builds the altar and he calls on the name of the Lord, he's saying, Father God, I'm out here now. I got to trust you. I got to live for you. And I believe with all my heart that Abraham wasn't motivated by the commands of God. He was motivated by the promises of God. There's a huge difference. The commands of God, they reveal God's characters, but the promises of God are channeled to his people by grace. And when I live by faith, and I thank you, Father God, you promised. This is what you promised. And I believe each day when Abraham arose, he wasn't focused on the commands. He was focused on the promises. And he would say stuff like this, Father God, you promised that you would make my name great. You promised that you would bless me, that you would multiply me. And I'm trusting you with all my heart. So from where we're at in chapter 12, verse 8, till the end of chapter 12, Abraham makes a huge mistake. He goes into the land of Egypt and he gets around the Pharaoh. And when you talk about Sarai, his wife, Sarai was hot, guys. I mean, she was a looker. She was so good looking that Abram gets nervous. He's nervous, nervous, nervous. And so he he sees all these men looking at how beautiful she is. And instead of saying, she's my wife, he says, she's my sister. Because he was afraid that if he said, she's my wife, they'd say, let's kill him and take her. So he lies. He gets off track. He quits trusting God. And every one of us in this room at times in our life, we waver from the things of the God. But I want you to note in chapter 13. Go to chapter 13, verse 1. Watch what this man of God does in this passage. Then Abraham went up from Egypt. He and his wife and all that they had and lot with him to the south. They got out of a spiritual polluted land called Egypt. Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and gold. How'd that happen? You know what the message says about him? The message says he was loaded. I love that. The man of God was loaded because God said to him, I'll bless you to be a blessing. Verse 3. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. So here's a man who stumbled in life. And to get back on track, you know what he does? He goes back to the beginning. And you and me, I can never get away from my beginning. I thank God I was a sinner and I'm saved by grace. And I never can forget my beginning point was when I received Jesus as Lord of my life. So he goes back to the beginning and in verse 4 it says, To the place of the altar which he had made there at first. He went back to his first love. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. The New Living says, He called on the name of the Lord again. 
He couldn't get away from his spiritual roots. It wasn't about what his circumstances dictated. When life got going real tough and hard, you know what he did? He went back to the altar. And he called on the Lord. And I see this pattern in this guy's life. That one of the greatest things he began to do was call on the Lord. Call on the Lord. You know, Psalm 50, 15 says, call on the Lord in the day of trouble and he'll hear you and help you. Verse 5. Lot also, he went with Abram and he had flocks and herds and tents. Now understand about this, Lot was his nephew. And Lot wasn't blessed because of Lot. Lot was blessed because of good old Uncle Abram. That's why he was blessed. He was around the man of God. Verse 6. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. You know what the strife was about? Wealth and the lust for more. Keep reading. And the Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Do you know in Matthew 5, 9 it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And I note right here, this is exactly what Abraham did. Verse 9. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take to the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. Now it's interesting to me in this passage that they're going to separate. And if you note, Abram didn't pull rank on him. Abraham didn't say, I'm, I'm greater than you, buddy. No, you know what Abraham said? You choose first. I'll let you choose first. Whatever you take, that's okay. And I believe the reason he said that is whatever you take, that Abram's faith wasn't dictated by what other people do or don't do. He said, I'm going to trust God. God's going to take care of me. If God be for me, everybody else might as well be. And so that's exactly what I was thinking. He said, you go ahead and choose first. It doesn't bother me a bit. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of the Jordan. Now the reason I highlight he lifted his eyes, Lot looked through life through his physical eyes. Abraham looked through faith's eyes. And Abraham hung on to the things of God by faith. The reason I know that, in Romans chapter 4, verse 20, it said that he did not waver at the promises of God. He never let his eyes, his faith eyes, get off that. And so Lot looks with his physical eyes, and he saw that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, the land of Egypt as you go towards Zor. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of, of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. 
But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Lot chose the world and money, prestige, over the things of God. That was his heart. I want this and I want that. But not Abram. Abram chose to hang on to the hand of God. He chose to hang on to the promises of God. His focus was on everything that God said. And he believed this with all his heart. That God's going to take care of me. Now in this chapter right here, his name is still Abram. In chapter 17, God changes his name from Abram to Abraham. In Genesis 12, remember when we read that he departed from Haran? He was 75. In Genesis 17, now that he's Abraham, he's now 99. 24 years he walked by faith. 24 years he believed God. 24 years he persevered. And not only with the name change, he got an identity change. And with an identity change, he got a status change. And his life became totally different. But how many of us in this room are willing to walk by faith for 24 years? See, he had ample opportunities to give up. He had opportunities to quit, but he didn't. He didn't want people to feel sorry for him. No, he hung fast Onto the promises of God. He never let them go. Now the point is this morning. Is back to the altar. That a man on his journey. To follow what God asked him to do. To seek first the kingdom of God. He erected an altar. And at that altar. It's where he learned to call on God. But remember when he got into trouble. That he went back to the first. He went back to the beginning. He went back to his spiritual roots. His spiritual DNA. And he he went back to the altar. And he began to call on the Lord. I say that today. When's the last time you had an altar encounter with the Lord? See, we want the things that Abraham had. We want to be blessed. We want to be multiplied. We want our name to be made great. But am I willing to call on the Lord? Maybe you've never called on the Lord. Maybe you've never had an altar encounter. Or maybe you need to go back to Bethel and Ai. Where you come back and you say, Lord, I'm just here today to say thank you. Thank you for being my provider. Thank you for being my protector. Maybe you're here today where you come back and say, Lord, I'm coming back to the altar to surrender. I'm coming back for a fresh consecration. I want to know you today, Lord, in a way that I never have. And maybe you need to come back to the altar today because you've been lukewarm. You've been average. You've strayed away. You've started dabbling in the things of the world. What would happen today? If I said, Lord, I'm just coming to the altar. I'm coming to worship you. I'm coming to touch your heart. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.